Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 261. Today is Sunday, the 17th of December, 2017. And this interview is with Martin Adams, who's CEO and co-founder of Codec, a platform using AI to help produce content and drive the content marketing. Martin is also a speaker on innovation, artificial intelligence, and the blockchain. In this conversation, we look at how Martin has gone about using AI for his business and what tips and tricks there are for any business looking to do the same. We also look at the content marketing situation and what are some of the best practices for today's marketers. A most stimulating chat. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Martin Adams, great to have you on the show. Um, you and I met at a wonderful event in Moskva. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and you are you have an amazing background. I really want. I'd, I'd like for people to understand a bit about your background, and and what you're up to today. Of course, at Kodak, uh, but also tell us what is your mindset. How would you describe uh, your th- way of thinking these days? Um, I it's a great question. Very good question. Um, I'm uh, optimistic. I think it's probably the the best way to put it. Um, aware uh, with the topics that we're going to be talking about sort of around artificial intelligence um, the world more generally and uh, and our business aware of the, the challenges but uh, optimistic about what what could come about right and so martin your your background because i mean you like i have sort of flip-flopped over the, across the across the seas uh, tell us a little bit about, about your background and and uh, and the 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 naissance the the birth of kodak absolutely yes yeah. so um I'm an Essex boy, born and bred. Uh, I maintain that I'm the only Essex boy to graduate from Harvard Law School, um, at least to date. Uh, yeah, so I, I spent some time over in the States, as you said, as an intellectual property expert over there and an intellectual property lawyer uh, in in New York. Uh, before that, I was involved in setting up one of the world's first social media agencies. So I've been involved in digital media for um, you know more than 10 years now. And... Uh, then I could have sort of brought all that experience together in Codec, bringing together the sort of intellectual property piece, understanding of, of digital media, and really saw that there was a, a huge problem in the space of, of making content and that we could use artificial intelligence to, to help solve that problem. Right, brilliant. So let's sort of start at the top with regard to AI, because it's, it's codec.ai, as I understand it, the URL. And, and if I'm in any organization... If I'm not looking at AI, I kind of think I'm behind the eight ball. But how does one, from a business standpoint, look at the integration of AI? Because you got a problem. I want to create content. I want to help companies create content. I want to use AI. Cool. That's my IP. But how do I? How do I go about setting it up? I mean, do you? Ha- you're not a geek, as I understand. I mean, at least you might be geeky, but you're not an AI expert per se. Yeah, I, I don't have a technical background. Mine is um, mine is a business background uh, and an understanding of the problem and the frustrations uh, from people that have that problem about the existing technology solutions. So you know, if you you're, you're right that there is a big feeling that everyone is behind behind the curve. Um, 
it's sort of analogous to, to Bitcoin at the moment. Everyone is saying, I really, really would like to get involved. And I wish I'd listened to my friend at that dinner party last year. Uh, but, you know, it's not too late um, uh, for companies to enter into. You know, you have to make, uh, you have to make reasonable business decisions, which is, is it good for me as an organization to invest in artificial intelligence? Or do I want to work with a third party who has been investing in this um, for the last X number of years? If you want to invest in it, if you're a, you're a company with those ambitions, then I think um, the real, the first question is, are you going to be able to get enough data? Because all of this really works on the ability to use huge, huge data sets and, um, and put them to work for you, basically. Then I think the second question is, are you going to have something that is in any way unique? Do you have your own data perhaps to commingle with other large public data sets, uh, then you're starting to get an interesting recipe. You're starting to get a, um, a concoction which is sort of your own. And then the third piece really is, can you, in essence, deploy the right technologies, You know, whether it's um, a deep learning or natural language processing? Can you essentially deploy the right algorithms over those unique data sets? I mean, but when you look at those different options, then you, you and you don't know shit from Cheyenne, you, you're presumably going to have to look at some consultants to help you navigate through the different choices. That's right. So talent plays a huge role here. There is no way around it. Um, you know, we've seen over the last sort of five to ten years, really, certain certain LinkedIn profile uh, uh, titles being very, very desirable. A few years ago, it was data scientist. If you changed your title to that, you got a salary bump. Um, and now it's someone with machine learning um, and back-end experience. So um, you do need to access people with that sort of expertise. Uh, that doesn't come cheap, but I think it's a, it's a worthwhile investment. Mm. All right, so let's uh, look in at, at, at content, which is what you help organizations do. The challenge being I'm an organization that sells a certain product or service, and the idea is that I should be producing content that is then distributed out on my site, on blogs, on social media to express my interests, my expertise. That's sort of, broadly speaking, what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, so um, you know, companies uh, that we work with are are very um, very candid about the challenges that they face in the modern world. You know, most most brands and publishers have difficult economic models, or they're deemed to be not as relevant in the eyes of their uh, you know, target audiences as, as they would like to be. They know that they can't keep doing classic advertising, putting up billboards and you know releasing a TV ad once every six months, uh, or putting Google ads out there. They know they can't do that, so they want to make stuff that the audience cares about, the audience really actually is moved by and that resonates with them. So. We deliver intelligence directly into them, um, which they can use either in conjunction with their agencies or, or just to make the content themselves, which is more interesting to these target audiences. Yeah, so, uh, so my business, let's say I'm selling um, you know, widgets. My target audience are 25 to 45-year-old uh, women, and, and you're going to be able to help me understand the type of content that these 25 to 40-year-old 45-year-old women want with regard to my widgets. That's right, yeah. And um, frankly, you know, the, the, to really take this challenge head-on, you have to be prepared to play second fiddle in terms of the widgets might not be what this audience is truly deeply passionately, you know, passionate about. So the, the first question should be, what does this audience care about? It's 
always it's it's a it's the perennial question it's mm. always been the right question to ask it's just that now we have technology that can help us answer it and then secondly the question the, the question is and how can i insert my widget mm. into content that this audience cares about mm. it's a trojan horse approach mm. so we are we are asking the audience whose time has is very very precious and there's never been more demands on it because there's never been more content and more competition we are asking them to invite our content in which will strategically place our widget uh, within mm-hmm. it yeah so earning the right so how do i know or how on earth does one go about finding out what my population that i have deemed as the population by the way to be the right one. How do I? How can I find out what is of interest? I mean, let's say, twenty-five to forty-five-year-old women. One might suppose that family is a possible area of interest, or, or, um, you know, they're they're obviously completely unrelated areas of interest. You know, they might like horse riding, uh, but I'm selling widgets. How does one go about finding that, and then obviously try to find the link between what I do and that interest? I think it's a super good question, and. Um, it's, you know, the answer is basically that no computer will tell you that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it cannot, and kind of normatively, it really ought not to either. The The reality is that humans need to make the judgments as to find the interesting tensions between what an audience is interested in and what we're selling or um, there might be discrepancies in the, uh, in the data. Someone might be uh, really interested in one thing and then interesting something that seems to not fit so tightly. Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking for. If you're a creative person, if you're a, a strategic um, planner in, in a brand or something or, a, or an organization like that, that's exactly what you're looking for. So our technology starts to, um, and, and generally technology in this space, should start to give you those interesting data points to explore creative tensions and um, and insert yourself and it definitely doesn't mean you know if it, def- it doesn't mean that you should be following things prescriptively so it's for your it's for your judgment to um, to decide how to explore this in the most interesting and humorous way and that's that's where storytelling comes from mm. it comes from the ability to um, to explore things in non-obvious ways computers and the state of artificial intelligence at the moment work in very, very obvious and rational ways. It should, it should go without saying. And um, with the debate about what is possible in the future around artificial intelligence, it's very possible to, uh, to, lose, to lose sight of that mm. fact <laughs> and to think that if you're a human being in an organization that wants to use AI or that does use AI, that you are maybe... Um, you're relegated in your role mm. to the role of computers. It's not true. The computer is your ally. You should learn how to use it in the best possible way, but it is there to help you serve your audience. Yeah, so to, to learn how to play with it and, and bring your humanity to it. I, I was just telling you a little bit before about Anne-Marie Tomchak's um, great documentary on, on the role of robots and, and is our job at, at risk? And, and the bottom line is that AI let's say artificial intelligence today is is certainly not able to go into things like intuition creativity empathy and emotion just yet and and so the case being that it doesn't exist then our role is to bring that to the table and and have ai take care of the other things that are completely uninteresting for us like you know repetitive activities and so on and so forth so well, let's say you're you, you, you when you're seeing this data how does one 
find these outliers? How do, you, you, all the data is there. Is it a question of, of programming in questions into the data? How, how do you come up with these, these intuitive ideas or these little pain points, or, or as you were suggesting, that sort of conflict or, or seem, hmm, there's something there. How, do you, how does one go about that? I mean, is there, for someone who doesn't actually plunge into the numbers, give us an idea of that route. Yeah, um, so I think, I think it depends where you start. And I think a lot of people in the industry now have a, a real appetite uh, driven by necessity, basically, to move away from just making, starting with a demographic audience. Um, so a demographic, you know, a... a like I was suggesting. Indeed. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, that's the sort of... Um, the, the boss, the head boss guy might say it's these are the people we sell uh, products to, so you should make content for them. But the people that are involved in making content that impacts people and motivates them and may encourage them to share or talk about this in their free time, mm-hmm. um, they are aware that what you need to do is start with probably an audience defined by mutual passion. Mm-hmm. So rather than 25 to 45 year old females we're starting with people who are interested in a certain type of um, uh, dance or a certain mm-hmm. type of cuisine or a certain type of travel or something like that and we can cut that after the fact for um, demographics if you need it or if you wish it to be cut that way so you might remove people under the age of 18 if you're an alcohol brand or remove um, men if you sell female yoga clothing or something like that but the starting point is really really um, is to to bring all the uh, all the intuition that you have or any existing market research that you have and to start with that and then you're looking to discover things that are non-obvious about that audience so you're looking to um, you're looking you know maybe the yoga going um, meditative um, defined passion uh, group audience that you're looking to understand you might see a huge you might actually see they have a huge propensity for spending lots of money on nights out and drinking red wine and it starts to flavor and enrich your understanding of what it means to be that tribal passion-based audience and that will put interesting ideas into the mind of any creative or, or strategic person all right so Let's say I, I, gosh, I really want to create some great content. Martin, you, you can. It seems like you can help me. Describe us the process that actually makes it happen. Because let's say that I'm, you know, the marketing guy or the CEO, whomever I am. Who do you need around the table, including the agency, I presume, in order for the, this to work effectively? Yeah, it's a re- it's a really interesting point you just mentioned there. The there's a there's a huge macro shift driven by what we just talked about in terms of increased uh, demand for better content from audiences. As a result of that, people need to make more content as well as it being better, and that has put a lot of pressure basically on the agency model. So brands are increasingly sort of saying if I need to be making content on a weekly or even maybe daily basis which nourishes the lives of these target audiences I probably need uh, probably the economics don't stack up with continuously going out to a third-party agency and perhaps more importantly I don't want to lose the intelligence that it is possible to gain from this iterative process Mm -hmm. of of making content for them and gathering feedback around them and everything else Um, so 
what is happening is often the brands themselves are, are trying to build in-house competencies, people like Unilever, Diageo, all doing this. And we would deliver, um, we would deliver technology into them. And when, when we say them, I think you really hit the nail on the head with the question because in the past, they would essentially outsource decision-making around the intelligence piece mm-hmm. to analysts or to kind of data science teams. Um, but what is, what is useful and I think really should be the goal of technology companies building in this area is to build for those decision-makers, build for the C-level, the CEO, the CMO, someone who has a broad remit and sort of makes decisions um, more generally rather than just the person uh, at the end of making the creative decision. So th- those people need to be tooled up and they are the ones that will brief. They're the ones that will brief an external third-party agency if they still continue to work with them or down to creative teams or down to social teams or down to digital teams whatever it is they're the ones that will brief and if you don't have a good starting point if the brief is not supplied with data and the data is not supplied in ways that is compelling and understandable for that person expecting them to to be a layman um, then then you're in trouble it sounds to me, Martin, that if you get this good data, this, these good insights, this could inform more than just the creation of content. Do you have any examples of, of how good companies are using the data to go beyond just creating another blog post? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this definition, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan, actually, of the word content, even though I use it. Um, it, it is so, it's so broad. It's kind of a term that, that seeks definition. But if we assume that that word typically means sort of content marketing and, and things that are less than five minutes, let's say, uh, in length, then we've also seen we've also seen sort of real real aggression and focus from companies like Unilever to use um, this sort of data to to make longer form content, to make entertainment properties. So things like um, they've just set up U uh, U Entertainment, which is in addition to what they have called U Studios. U Studios is their content marketing outputs. U Entertainment will make games. It will make films. It will make documentaries. And it will really engage head on with that challenge that we talked about of trying to make something the audience cares about first and then secondly inserting its products because its goal is to become part of culture. One way of becoming part of culture is to make content, however defined. Um, but there are many, many other ways. Um, you know, you could also use this sort of data to drive things like new product development. So we've seen that as well. If you see that an audience has a surprising uh, real spike of demand for a certain topic, and you can use technology to see how that is increased sort of almost exponentially month on month on month, there is essentially what we would call an investment opportunity there. Right. If we were R&D. Looking, it's basic R&D. Indeed, exactly. You're, it is, uh, if we're looking to deploy money or time, which is the things that big organizations talk about and trade on, then we want to understand demand before we basically put those um, supply-side mm-hmm. factors towards it, time and money and, and, and everything else, and reputation as well. So if you can understand demand, if you can understand what an audience really cares about, you can use it for new product development, for the creation of content marketing, for the creation of real cultural entertainment as Mm. well. Before we get into content itself, because I I, I do want to ask a few questions from your learnings of helping companies create content. 
and what the appetite need is in the market. But in order for content to be well-crafted, you mentioned the word culture, but probably more externally, but what do you, what do you believe are the right ingredients to have a good culture for creating this kind of content in an organization? I think you need to you need to resist the urge to focus on yourself. I think that um, most culture is is contextual. It's interwebbed. It's interrelated. It's about the way things um, relate to one another. And I think that the way to make the right content is to stop focusing on your product. It's to focus on the audience it's to understand what that audience cares about the the very you know it will be a significantly more complex uh, uh web of your audience than you think um, so understand that be try and be empathetic about that try and understand what life looks like through their eyes and then try and nourish that try and insert your your product secondly mm, love it so let's talk about content a little bit, Martin. So, um, you know, I, I'm blogging and people who are creating content, it seems awfully murky, especially since I don't have you as providing me wonderful data. Um, but what, what you, you mentioned a few things just now. You need to have more data, uh, long form. What, what, what advice would you have for brands and marketers who are in this mode of saying, gosh, I need to be creating content. Let's say, I'm, hopefully I'm going to create some empathy. I'm going to, I've got, I've got an idea that I'm going to, I have an audience that we really want to, that's some really quirky things that they want. So I'm going to think about them. But now all right, I got that. Now what content should I be creating? Do I need to be creating one type of content that spins out and repurposes across all social media? Do I want to be doing long form? God, it should be doing mostly video. I mean, it's, there are a lot of options out there. And so how do you orient that discussion? Yeah. So I think there is, you know, we're, we're talking here about strategic communication. So we're talking about communications that achieve the goals of the organization, in the ways we've we've discussed, so there will always be a perfect answer and then a possible answer, which will be and that second piece will be affected by budget and um, the will of the organization. Is it a risk-taking organization or does it want to play it safe? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is its relationships with third-party agencies? Did they understand the brand? Things like that. In the regulatory environment too. Absolutely. So. You know, we mentioned alcohol brands. You, there's a very strict regulation there, and there's many, many more examples. So, I think that always you need to be uh, to be aware of the of what is actually possible, and and not get too um, not get too upset that you won't be able to pursue the perfect path. But talking about sort of perfection and <laughs> optimality, I think that the first thing to do is to resist the urge to talk about yourself. We've covered that. The second thing is to resist the urge of the different platforms out there and different stakeholders who want you to adopt their shiny new creative format or um, shiny new thing that they're pushing on you. So, you know, your 
supported by research, Facebook will tell you that instant articles is the next new thing you need to use. And six months ago, it was 360 video. And before that, it will, et cetera, et cetera. And it will be you know, VR content in the future. And that, that game will not stop. There will always be platforms telling you that you need to use this new thing. And they will always give preference to it in their algorithms and things like that until they change them mm-hmm. to preference the next one. Mm-hmm. So I think that what that suggests to me is flexibility that it's okay to um, it's okay to try things where you have evidence that your audience wants them but what is not really okay one because you'll be wasting your money but two because you will be treating your audience kind of like um, <laughs> kind of like a wall that you're throwing shit against and seeing what sticks if you are jumping from format to format time after time so I think really it's be have a stable sense of what your audience wants make sure that that sense is not a snapshot in time but is a picture over time so that it's a stable set of interests and then and then own the formats that you're going to invest in there is no one right answer at the moment i don't believe in best practices i think that best practices are what the platforms want you to believe is the right thing to do and i philosophically believe that you start with what the audience wants when you say own it does that mean i should have my own url or because i don't own my facebook page so i think it's a really good question i start I, i kind of use own it there more in a let you be the one who wins in video or let you be the one who wins in making nourishing medium blogs that are actually of of value to your audience. So sort of have a defined set of pillars and principles and guidelines that you you express yourself within. In terms of owning it more more generally, I think we need help there. I actually do think we need help there. I I've been involved as I said sort of with social media from the very, very first days, I used my university email account when I was still a student to get on Facebook and somewhat surreptitiously set up a very, very early stage agency before newsfeed and, and all of that. So very, very familiar with the, the power of those platforms. Parenthetically, you went to a school called Harvard. Indeed, indeed. Um, so I think that, you know, I'm aware of the power of those platforms, but I do think that it's clear that they have, there's been a switch and bait. Right? They asked brands to build their communities on top of those platforms. And then we've seen, we've talked about the power that they can exert over access to those audiences. And I think that a lot of brands and publishers are, are aware of the limitations. They're aware of the game that they've played and lost with these big social media platforms. And so I think that the question, can I own my content? Can I own, understand the intelligence around how people interact with it? not by virtue of Facebook's analytics, but because I have the intelligence, which I own and I can use in my feedback processes. I think we're going to see that evolve as a, uh, a really, really big question. And it'll be interesting to see what the answer is. Mm. So let's say that I've, I've got my ideas, my insights, I'm creating content. D- does Codec help in things like SEO, search engine optimization, choosing A-B titles and, and that kind of thing before we get into the distribution conversation. Yeah, so we, 
we focus on um, we have a number of modules that will deliver through things like uh, image recognition so it will actually show you from analyzing millions of third-party images that the audience is interacting with outside of just your brand space or your product space mm-hmm. it will show you, you know, these are the color tones that are going to work with them uh, it will show you this is the sort of cropping or you know these are the design aspects or these are the topics covered in those in those types of images and that genre of image that is going to be really really compelling so there's a bunch of different ways you can cut that data you can cut that to say you know to identify maybe a high performing genre of image but that isn't very frequently appearing in this audience's online life so there you have this sort of talking about supply and demand mismatch you have a bit of a white space opportunity that the brand can ask itself should we enter into this cultural territory should we start to make content in this space um and then we have, we've sort of carefully selected a bunch of modules that will deliver into all of those processes that you talked around there. If you look at the most recent, uh, you know, uh, optimizations that Google made around its search algorithms, they preference not just the tactics of deep linking and things like that, which was really a very tactical game that agencies played. They preference what the audience wants. They use search. It's all about the search data and what people care about rather than rather than any sort of tactics. So all of our algorithms basically feed into those processes of just making the right content in the first place. What do you read to stay up with what's going on? Is, are there a couple of uh, sources that you would suggest? Because, uh, I mean, I, I think of all you're saying. I, I, I'm, I have my own sources, but I'm wondering what, what you read to stay up with it. I cannot disclose my sources. No, no, no. of course. Your brother. <laughs> I, yeah, I do. I, I, my, my brother um, is a vice media innovation guy there. So we, we, um, we don't really have any downtime because we're always hyped up uh, chatting about this sort of stuff. So yeah, he, he and I go back and forth. Um, I like Azim Azar's uh, Exponential View. Um, subscribe to that. It's excellent. And not it's not too frequent, so it kind of uh, it's a really select set of resources. Uh, I subscribe to the Cognition X and Charlie Muirhead's uh, channel. There, it's really really good, and they run great events also. So I, I kind of keep my keep my eye to the to the ground in terms of those sorts of resources. But also, I'm absolutely privileged to be networked in this community. I get to speak at events, and I take the time before and after to just ask people what they're working on and what they're scared about and where are the threats and where are the opportunities. And I still think that we are, to our to our discussion earlier, I don't think it's too late. I still think we're in this really early, formative, quite collaborative stage mm-hmm. of, uh, of, the, of the artificial intelligence space. And uh, just keep asking the questions and you'll get good answers. That's exciting. And last question then is, is with regard to distribution of content. Because as you were mentioning before, be more specific. Don't uh, try not to go with all the next shiny objects. At the same time, if I'm going to invest in spending creating content, there is, you know, if I have a million customers, they're not all going to come to my blog. They are demanding in these different areas. So do you, and I, would, you, would you say that we're in a pay-to-play kind of environment as far as the distribution of your content is concerned? Or can you still have some you know Valhalla organic free I think you should be focused on the second I think you should be focused on things that will win because of their value because they are exciting because they're different because they are wanted because yeah, people say oh my god I can't believe this brand wrote that it's amazing gotta share it 
if you can get that, you're good, right? Exactly. And and if you start in that first place, which is, again, on the level of tactics and, mm-hmm. and what is, oh, we're going to have a better tactic than that person to get. There's not that many good tactics when it comes to buying media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just have to spend the money. And if your goal is to outspend your opponent, that's not a very smart strategy. <laughs> it's not efficient. So you should start with a focus on making the right stuff in the first place. The reality is that the reality is that we are in a um, uh, in a world where what you pay does have a huge, the biggest impact on the sort of the the metrics that most people report on. So things like reach and frequency. So I think there's two things to say. There is one, the metrics. If, the, if, if that landscape is slightly wrong, then those metrics are also slightly wrong. We should be focusing on more than just reach and frequency. We should be trying to focus on things that, you know, if there is a metric for resonance, let's Passion. find it. Passion, yes. Um, you know, word of, you know, d- d- pass it on, a brand uplift, a recognition of the brand, all of those things, sentiment. We should be focusing on them. And I think technology needs to do a, a better job of finding metrics that aren't given to it by the media platforms, which they can report on, which the, which the brand, I think, also has an appetite for. So that's one thing. And then I think, secondly, we need to find new ways of reaching audiences i think that there are there's plenty of scope um including with the development of blockchain which is an area i'm I'm really really interested in there's plenty of scope for us to build more direct relationships with audiences that we want to interact with our content and to have different market economics different incentive structures to motivate them to do that or to reward them for doing that that don't rely solely on the the centralized you know players like facebook and google there will always be a place for facebook and google i'm i'm a user i'm glad i use that word user um i'm glad that they exist i get lots of value from them they provide huge you know huge convenience they're very cheap ways of staying in touch with friends and family Mm -hmm. but when it comes to this question of content do they provide a rich, nourishing content experience or do they, are they media platforms that provide a very good business for their investors? I think we all know the answer. We do. Beautiful. Well, that is a fantastic way to conclude, Martin. Loved having you. Great to, to listen to your optimistic view and to know that AI does include the human uh, along the way. How can people best uh, get in touch with you or follow what you're up to, Martin? Absolutely. So um, I'm Martin D. Adams on Twitter, and uh, the website for the company is www.codec.ai. And yeah, be delighted to chat to anyone. Um, as I said, I like to keep, uh, keep asking the questions, and, um, uh, and maybe you do as well. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Martin. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and my other blog posts on branding and digital on mindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, of course where you can also sign up for my bi-weekly newsletter at mindset.com forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, go ahead and click the handy Facebook like button or share it out by your favorite media. In the meantime, come catch me on Twitter at mdial or listen up for the next show. Now enjoy Josh Sachs's Finger Paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of self-security.
The ridges in our palms make colors blend and look ugly in the end. But they're pretty in their own disgusting values. We'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house guests cringe. Oh, I wouldn't care. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.